Hello and welcome to the Hail Maryland podcast recording after an incredible, just a straight up incredible victory by the Terps over Minnesota. I'm Varun Shankar. He's Jacob Steinberg. We're joined today by a very special guest, Baltimore Ravens and sports breaking news reporter for the Baltimore Sun. And more importantly, a UMD and Merrill alum, Daniel Oyafusi. Daniel, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How you two doing? Doing well. Excited to have you on, Daniel. <laughs> Pretty good after that win, man. Okay, so Maryland wins 45-44. Let me just take us all through a quick outline of game because so much happened, right? So it starts out really great, kind of similar to the Northwestern game. UMD jumps, but except this time they actually scored touchdowns. UMD jumps up to a 14-0 lead. Talia throws a touchdown pass, and then he runs for a touchdown. That second touchdown was really cool. Then Minnesota starts coming back. They start pounding the rock with Ibrahim. They make it 14-7. Then Jayshon Jones goes 76 yards to the house, makes it 21-7. Next thing you know, Minnesota comes back. They're aided by a pick on a screen pass by Talia and then a missed field goal and then a fumble on the one-yard line by Penny Boone. They scored 31 straight points. They make it 38-21. At this point, I'm thinking, all right, it was a nice little effort by the Terps. Nice little things to work on as you get through the season. So positive. Nah, Talia said, screw that. 17 unanswered by Maryland. Talia, Funk, Petrino, they go to OT. They score a touchdown. It's 45-38. Minnesota answers, but their college backup kicker misses the extra point. All right, guys, is there anything I missed? Oh, man, I, I think so. It was a, I mean, that was a whirling game. I mean, just from the way that Maryland came out, you know, getting out to that 21-7 lead. I mean, they bounced back, you know, as best you can. Um, I mean, I guess for me, just, uh, you know, the how the entire team bounced back and the coaching staff as well. I know uh, Michael obviously took a lot of heat for, you know, the way they came out for the season opening game. And, um, you know, especially on defense where, you know, they still struggle to stop the run um, and really get off the field and, you know, make the uh, quarterback uncomfortable. But, I mean, I got to give props to that coaching staff, the defense coordinator, John Hope, for the way they came out. And they kind of really sold out uh, to stop the run. They were way more aggressive. And, I mean, as, as great as Talia played and the offense played, I mean, if the defense doesn't make one, two stops, hold them to a field goal in the second half, I mean, none of that happens. Yeah, just going off of what Daniel said, last night's win for Maryland epitomized complimentary football. I know it's a cliche throughout all football in the NFL and college, but when Maryland's offense was was going, the defense picked them up. And when the offense wasn't going, the defense also picked them up in the second half. Both both units did a great job. And then Joseph Petrino drilled a crucial 51-yarder to cut the game to seven. And if Maryland's able to do that in all three phases, they're definitely going to be able to stay competitive in a lot of games throughout the season. And not only did it show complimentary football, but it also just showed their grit and resilience. They're a really young team with 56 new guys on the roster. And as Daniel was saying, to come back from down 17 points when everybody doubted that, myself included, I didn't think they'd have the the juice to come back. They were able to do it. So it was a really impressive and well thought out win for the Terps. I mean, everything you guys said, it was, I, I still like, it's a day later and I'm still a bit at a loss for us recording this on Saturday morning. Uh, let's start with our first segment, the good, the bad, the ugly. I'm going to start with the good Talia and the offense. Me and Jacob were like, pre- we're pretty tough on Talia after that week one game. You play, he played as bad as a quarterback can play. I mean, 
I remember like we were talking about the over-unders and I was like, man, like I, I you have to see it to believe it, right? I have to see it to know if Tali is a real deal. Nah, he's a real deal. I take everything back that I said. I mean, he came out and from the second he he second he stepped on the field, he was in command for every single play. Even there was a pick, even though there was a pick, even though there were some miscues with the offense. I mean, he was electric every single stec- second he was on the field. And the offense as a whole, the offensive lineman with the way they blocked, Jake Funk with the way he ran the ball, the receivers getting open moving with the quarterback everything was as good as it could be uh so my good goes to the offense uh jacob what do you got yeah i was gonna say tally i feel like that's the obvious one but i want to focus on jake funk in the running game i mean jake funk finished with 221 rushing yards just what a story for jake funk coming back from two torn acls he looked fresh as ever last night he was making great cuts he was breaking tackles and he's one of the vocal leaders of this team so it was really nice to see him have a lot of success but just going back to talia the one stat that stood out to me was according to espn stats and info Talia is only one of three Big Ten players since 2000 to throw for 350 yards, throw for three touchdowns and have two rushing touchdowns in the same game, which is an absolutely mind boggling stat. And as Varun, as Varun said, you can't bounce back much better than Talia did after last week's performance. And I'm sad to say that I took the under for his touchdowns in our uh, props for the game last week. But you live and you learn, as they say. Daniel, what do you got? Yeah, you guys took, uh, you know, the, the top two choices for me. I'll go, you know, I'll go a little different. I'm kind of going back to what I was talking about before, kind of the, the second half adjustments and the, the second half resiliency of the defense um, specifically. Um, you know, the numbers don't look pretty right now, um, especially for the defense. But, you know, like I said, the way that they responded, um, I really did see a lot of second half uh, adjustments, especially um, with Lockley talking about, you know, the, the you know, making sure you're in the right gap, filling those gaps, not getting pushed off the line. Um, you saw John Hope kind of disguise a lot of those blitzes. Um, I saw some corner blitzes um, from the slot, from the outside, some creativity, just to, just to give, uh, Tanner Morgan and that offense, uh, different looks. And just watching it on TV, I mean, you saw that these guys, especially on defense, they really wanted it. Like, they would make a big tackle, and you would see the excitement. You, you would see the intensity. So, I mean – these are these are prideful young guys, and to see that the way see the way they came out and see that they didn't just you know they didn't just get knocked down and just roll over that that was really good to see and really exciting for a young team. Exactly what you said. That defense, I like like I remember you were tweeting about this. The recruits are coming next year, right? Like the talent for the defense is really going to be there next year and the year after, but. They play with a lot of energy. They play with a lot of heart. You know, I remember, I think it was, I think it was Shaq Smith after one play, he stood up Ibrahim on the goal line just by himself before everyone else got there. And he's out there celebrating. I'm like, that's what you have to do because you have to have that kind of energy for every single play. Uh, Another guy who played out of his mind, Chance Campbell, we'll get to him later. He was, I mean, again, he's not the biggest guy, but he shoots the gaps really well. He's, he knows where to be on every single play. So he's really impressive. All right, let's get to the bad. I've got the Maryland defense. They played with a lot of heart, but they still weren't good. I think the run defense left a little bit to be desired, especially the first half. And the pass defense, when the ball was in the air, their ball skills were uh, very subpar. But then uh, the other thing I have is Loxley's clock management. I do want to talk about this before we get to like the just some pure jubilation that we're going to get to in a second. But there were some really weird decisions he made, I think, at the end of the first half. Uh, letting the clock run down. And then I think they attempted just a long field goal that missed. But then at the end of the game, they had a chance to either take a Hail Mary or a field goal for the win. And they had like 20 seconds left at the ball at like the midfield almost. 
and they just let it run down all the way. Jacob, what was with that? Yeah, that, that was one of the decisions that really confused me. The other one was late in the first half of the game, it tied at 21. Maryland had a fourth and two opportunity from Minnesota's 43-yard line, and Coach Loxley elected to punt which to me was a really questionable decision considering the way that Maryland's offense was rolling throughout the first half and Minnesota's defense was was struggling. Blunt, they just couldn't stop Maryland. Tago Bailoa and Maryland's offense were just making big plays and creating big plays. And then electing to punt, I was a little surprised because Maryland's defense was also struggling a lot heavily at the time. And the punt didn't really pay off because it pinned Minnesota at the nine-yard line, but then Mohamed Ibrahim and uh, – Trace and Potts had 33 and 29 yard runs back to back, which set up Minnesota in great field position. And they finished the drive on a five play 91 yard drive with the touchdown. And then the other one is you talked about Varun was just that I I was surprised he didn't go for a Hail Mary at the end of the game. I mean, you really have nothing to lose with about three seconds left on the clock with all the talented receivers that Maryland has from Dante Demas to Rakeem Jarrett to Jayshon Jones to Brian Cobbs. Why not give your playmakers a chance? There's no harm if Minnesota intercepts the ball. They're not going to return it on a Hail Mary. So just give your playmakers a shot. I was a little surprised to see that. And since Maryland won, I don't think it's going to be talked about as much, but it's definitely something to consider after that win yesterday. Daniel, what did you think? Yeah, it definitely seemed like one of those things where, you know, that saying where it's like you play to win, not to uh-huh. not lose. It was like Loxley was playing not to lose. And I understand that because you have uh, such a young team and um, a lot of newcomers. But still, I mean, with this Big Ten schedule, you're going into most of these games as an underdog and as a double-digit underdog. Like, you, you have to be aggressive and, you know, not you don't want to be uh, aggressive to a fall where you're just kind of doing inexplicable things. But like, there's no reason why you, you know, with, you don't bring the clock down to three seconds and, you know, you just tell Talia, hey, we're going to throw a Hail Mary. If you don't see anything, just kind of scramble out, throw the ball away and we'll live to see another day. Um, you know, you, you would hope that as the season goes along, you see more aggressiveness. And, and we did see that. I mean, there was a fourth down play. I mean, I believe they did convert a fourth down uh, conversion. Very early in the game, with yeah. the, yeah, yeah, with Talia faking it and keeping it to himself when he slid down, and you know he had the situ- situational awareness to you know to not to not do anything dumb and turn the ball over. But you still want to see Loxley be more aggressive in certain spots because you know uh, most games that Maryland goes into, there's going to be a bit of a talent gap. So you're going to have to kind of roll the dice a little bit and hope that maybe you get lucky sometimes to stay in these games and pull off some of these upsets. That's exactly what I was thinking. This, the point about them being an underdog is exactly. I, I think I tweeted it. You're coming, like like you said, you're coming into the games as a huge underdog. You have to maximize every single opportunity. You're not expected to win. Like everyone was tweeting yesterday, Maryland's playing with house money. Like the second the score went 21 nothing, they're playing 21-7. They're playing with house money. No one like no one expects them to win. So just go out there and go for go for it, right? Fourth and two when you're, I think they were uh, uh, on the other side of the 50, you should be you should be going for that. Like once you're past midfield and it's fourth and less than five, automatic automatic go for it, especially when your offense is rolling like the way they were. And then at the end of the game, I don't know, they won, so I don't really want to focus on this, but I do think that, I've said this a lot, like coaches should just hire like a Madden expert to help them with all like situational football stuff because X's and O's are great, but like it's like, like the Andy Reid disease, right? Like Andy Reid in the playoffs for so many years, he just couldn't manage the clock for no matter what. Then he got Patrick Mahomes and it ended up not mattering, but it's like, he's the kind of guy and you just hope that Loxley learns from these mistakes and builds on it. All right. Last thing I got the ugly, I'm going to go with the Minnesota defense. Cause uh, wow. They were really bad. Uh, what, what, what happened there, Jacob? 
Yeah, Minnesota's defense is pretty young, just like Maryland at a lot of areas. They lost several players to the NFL. They lost Carter Coughlin and Chris Williamson to the Giants. They lost their great safety, Antoine Winfield, to the Tampa Bay Bucks. And just like Maryland's defense last week and then end in moments last night, the Gophers' youth was on full display. They gave up a ton of chunk plays. They didn't have great, great gap control defensively. Jake Funk was able to find a lot of great holes and they didn't have contain on Talia Tagovailoa. He was able to escape pressure so many times and create plays, whether it was that 39 yard rushing touchdown where he spun away from the line, the blitzing linebacker unevaded and ran down the sideline. The, they just, to me, the two biggest things were not maintaining gaps and allowing Talia to make big plays. Daniel, what'd you think? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like you said before, you know, they won, so you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, rag, rag on them too much, but I, I'll just say the turnover differential, um, you know, I don't know, you know, this isn't going to be a consistent thing where if Maryland is turning the ball over and losing the turnover differential, you know, they're minus two, minus three, you know, they're not going to win too many more games. Um, the first uh, turnover, you know, the, the interception kind of off the tip screen path, you know, that happens, you know, the execution wasn't the best and you, and you, you know, you kind of live to fight another day, but, you know, when you get down to the one yard line and, you know, Penny Boone, you just, you just can't, you can't fumble the ball on the one yard line. Um, I don't think it's coincidence that he didn't have a carry after that. Um, you know, it's been kind of rough sledding for those two freshman backs with uh, Boone and Isaiah Jacobs. Um, you're, you know, you're hoping that, you know, they can kind of rebound. You can get more production from them. And Penny Boone, you know, we, we did see some good things and kind of mop up duty in the Northwestern game. Um, but, you know, you just, just got to clean up some of that sloppy play. And it's a young team, so you're hoping that as the season goes on, um, you're able to, you know, limit those turnovers. And, you know, on the other side of the defense, you know, create a turnover. You know, even if you get one turnover, you know, that'll go a long way. You know, you're not getting too many stops as well. So if you can first and foremost um, rush, the, rush the passer and get an interception, I mean, that's going to go a long way for an offense that we've already seen can uh, make plays and put up points. Yeah, so far this season, they're minus six in turnover differential. They haven't forced a single one. They've four in the first game, two tonight. But, and they could have had another one if Isaiah Jacobs' uh, fumbled kickoff goes into the wrong guy's hands. They, they might need to get a new guy back there on those returns. Another thing, when you talk about sloppiness, they had 10 penalties for 97 yards. And we'll actually talk about this. If it's penalties in the flow of game, it's more acceptable. But when it's pre-snap penalties or when it's uh, – when it's post snap penalties, like the unnecessary or the unsportsmanlike conduct that I think Jay Sean Jones, no, not Jay Sean Jones, someone else got on the defense. And then the Jay Sean Jones penalty. Yeah. And then uh, Jay Sean Jones with the crackback block penalty. Those were the two biggest ones that I can think of. There was an OPI penalty. I mean, you, you have to cut down on those. Maryland won tonight because of an exceptional offensive performance. You're not going to get that level every single game. If you want to like string some wins together and listen, We'll get to whether we think this is going to change, whether this changes Maryland's season outlook for you. But if you can get some of that sloppy play cleaned up, and like Jacob said, and like everyone has said, this is a super young team, so it's kind of expected. You you can really start to see some really positive signs. All right, let's move on to our game balls. We're going to give out game balls to everyone who had a gate game. All right, I'm going to start out with the really obvious one. I think this is going to be like a pretty extended discussion. So let's start by talking about Talia because I think he had as bad as a game as you can have last week. And then this week it was the exact opposite. Jacob, what do you think about Talia? 
I have to say the first thing that really impressed me about Talia was earlier this week when coach Loxley met with the media, he told us how they got back from uh, Northwestern at about three or four in the morning. And the next day Talia was back in the facility at 11 AM about an hour before their daily COVID testing going into the playbook. And another thing that stood out to me was coach Loxley talked to us about how Talia is one of those guys when he makes a mistake, he learns from it. He doesn't repeat it. And last night's performance was emblematic of that. Talia, uh, he talked about how he needs to do a better job of taking what the defense gives him and which he didn't do against Northwestern. And he did that several times against Minnesota. There were several times where like last week against Northwestern, he forced the ball down the field, but he just rushed for about three or four yards, used his legs and took a couple shorter plays that kept drives alive for Maryland, which ended up being really crucial. And the other thing that stood out to me was he talked about during practice, how he works on scrambling drills with offensive coordinator, Scotty Montgomery. And he did a great job with that last night. And he talked about how fulfilling it was to be able to, have something that he works on in practice come to fruition in the game. So it was really a phenomenal performance from Talia on all fronts, but he's going to have to keep it up. He's facing two of the best defenses in the Big Ten the next two weeks in Penn State and Ohio State. So we're going to find out whether last night's performance was an aberration or not, or whether Talia is the real deal the next two weeks. Yeah, what did you think about Talia's performance? Yeah, I mean, I thought he, he played, I mean, impressively great. Um, I think that some of the things that really stood out from that first game, just, just kind of my thoughts, because this, this was the first time that, I mean, we pretty much majority of, you know, Maryland um, fans, watchers, press, whatever was watching him, you know, he played sparingly at Alabama. Um, and, and I thought that, you know, Lockley said that he was kind of suffering from first game jitters. I did see that a lot um, from the not taking what the offense, uh, not taking what the defense gives you, um, forcing deep passes even little things like, um, you know, there was talk about how he was mobile and he could move around. And um, I thought against Northwestern, he really struggled to move out of the pocket and, um, you know, throw on the run. I mean, that was not the issue last night. He made a lot of plays moving. I mean, I can't even count the amount of times that we kind of pirouetted, pirouetted, can't pronounce it right, to his left. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, he's right-handed. So, I mean, that, that's a tough thing to do to kind of to roll out to the left and to make a throw. Um, you know, he showed uh, great awareness. Um, I think the offensive line did a really good job. I mean, this is still a, a fairly young offensive line. I think they did a great job for him when he had, uh, when he had, you know, the time to throw. He did a great job. Um, we, we already see that chemistry on the RPOs, um, you know, with that 76-yard touchdown catch and run to, uh, to Jay Sean Jones. Um, so I was really impressed. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I was one of the many people who were like, I mean, I'm ready to see what Lance has because Lockley, you know, gave the impression that this was a close, uh, this was a close quarterback battle, uh, you know, in preseason camp, and you know, he, you know, he just looked really rattled. I was like, I don't know if he has, if he has it, but uh, you know, I was, I was really impressed with the way he came out and he rebounded. Point about him using his legs was because everything we heard about him was that he was a dual threat guy, and then in the first game he didn't run at all. Yesterday he used every tool in his arsenal. I mean, he was. When he ran out to the rolled out to the right or the left, like you said, he was very accurate throwing the ball, which is something I didn't expect. But even more than just, I mean, listen, the statistics are ridiculously good. I'm gonna pull them up here. 26 of 35 for 394 yards, a pick that I really don't think was a lot of his fault. It was like a tipped screen pass. He could have just thrown it to the ground. Three touchdowns, one interception. Then he ran eight times for 64 yards and two more touchdowns. Wow. Right. We, 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 uh, I've been using EPA a lot. He had, and you know what, this, this is my one big number. So I'm going to go to that quickly. He had 31 points added. That's like a Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence type number. He was the way he played yesterday. If he, 
he's not going to be able to keep that level up, right? But if he keeps something around that up, he's an, he's this franchise franchise quarterback. He's the program saving quarterback that uh, Maryland's been looking for for I don't even know how long at this point. And even even more than just what he did on the field, it was Jake, Jacob. Me and you were in the post game press conference. The way his teammates talked about him, it really does seem like Tal- Talia has something special. Yeah, you said it. Talia's teammates were talking about how just how proud of him they were seeing the way he bounced back because they echoed what Coach Loxley said that last week's performance was not indicative of his true skill and they were expecting him to bounce back and he did exactly that. As you talked about, Varun, quarterback is the most important position in the game. If your quarterback has success, your team is going to have success. And Talia was a perfect example of that last night. And another key play that I want to point out from just Talia and Chance Campbell, somebody we're going to talk about a little later, is right after that one interception on that batted screen pass, guy to come up to Talia on the field was Chance Campbell. He put his hands on Talia's shoulders and hit him on the helmet and let him know it's okay. We got your back. Like you're playing an outstanding game. We're going to bounce back and we're still in this one. And I thought that was really cool to see and is indicative of what Varun was talking about, just how much Talia means to this team and just the camaraderie and brotherhood that this Maryland team has. Daniel, what'd you think about, I mean, what do you think the value of having a quarterback that has that kind of off the field impact can be? I mean, it's everything. Um, you know, over the, over the years, Maryland, uh, Maryland hasn't had an issue um, per se accumulating talent. I mean, we see they've put um, running backs, wide receivers, defensive backs, safe, you know, cornerback safeties in the, in the NFL. But um, we all know that, you know, whether it's high school, whether it's college, whether it's the NFL, the quarterback is the position that really puts everything together and can make a break, make or break your program, your team, your franchise. Um, and, you know, it seems like, you know, just watch, just kind of watching from afar because, um, you know, I covered the team a little bit um, in the lead up to the to the start of the season. It, it seems like uh, Talia is a, is a good guy. Um, you know, he comes from a really great family, you know, to a, the only great things are said about him as a person. Um, so you want, you're not, you don't just want your quarterback to be a great player. You want him to be a leader. Um, and it looks like that's what they have, uh, in Talia right now um you know leaders come in different shapes and sizes I don't know if he's the most vocal guy um I don't know if he has like the big bravado but he he's steady um and we saw that last night um you know we all know he had a shaky game against Northwestern but he rebounded um he didn't let the moment didn't seem too big for him and he I think that's the, that's the biggest thing that stood out to me he was just really steady um you know whenever you know they had a big third down or um, they got the ball back and they needed uh, a big drive. You know, he just didn't, he wasn't pressing. He wasn't forcing anything. Um, he was just really steady. And, um, you know, you as a as a team, whether you're an NFL franchise or a college program, you kind of take on the 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 mood and the, you know, the the mood and the tenor of your your coach, your quarterback. And, uh, and when we saw that in the way that they just kind of steered the ship and they just kept on responding to whatever adversity hit them. All right. We've seen two wildly different ends of the spectrum from Italia so far, right? We had the first game against Northwestern, then we had last night against Minnesota. Which one do you guys think is closer to how he's actually going to play Jacob than Daniel? 
Uh, I'm going to say a middle ground between the two of them, because as you talked about, there's no way he's going to be able to sustain, or at least I shouldn't say there's no way anything's possible, but I would be very surprised if he sustained the production they had last night. But on the other end of the spectrum, I'd be very shocked if we saw a game like Northwestern again. So I think that Talia is still going to be a very efficient quarterback and is still going to show maybe one or two of those flashy highlight plays instead of seven or eight of them but like i said we're gonna find out who talia is the next two weeks because they're facing up against penn state and then ohio state two of the best defenses in the conference i know penn state doesn't have their best defensive player michael parsons he opted out but they still have plenty of nfl caliber talent and so does ohio state so i'm really intrigued to see how talia does the next two weeks yeah, I agree with Jacob that it, it's more of a middle ground. I think that um, you know, there's you never see more overreaction than after week one of a of a sports season. Um, you know, I I think, you know, everyone kinda wrote off Maryland, you know, the few people that were really on the bandwagon, they they really wrote them off after that performance. But um, you know, the 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 thing after you can say after two weeks is, you know, you're never as bad as you look and you're probably not as great as you look. Um, I would be surprised if we see Talia put up those numbers consistently over the course of the next uh, six games, seven games. If so, I mean, we might have to start the Talia for for Heisman campaign. But, um, you know, I think that one thing that really sticks out to me and has stood out to me, and as I said before, offensively, Maryland has talent. They, I mean, they're they're not – and look, they're not, you know, searching for offensive playmakers and, and guys to, to make plays, whether that's Jake Funk in the backfield or they just have a, the, the countless wide receivers that Talia has right now. Um, so if we can see just, especially with the offensive line, I, I think that that has probably been the most surprising aspect for me of uh, the team, just how consistent they've been, not only in uh, opening rushing lanes, but in protecting Talia. And we can see them continue to, to improve and gel together um, and just let Talia do what we know. We now know he's capable of. I mean, there's no reason why, like I said, you're not going to be putting up five touchdowns every single game, maybe. But, um, you know, that consistent and quality play from quarterback, from a quarterback position that Maryland's been seeking for probably a decade or so um there's no reason why we can't see that and expect that for the rest of the season he looked phenomenal i mean there's nothing else i mean if he keeps this up it's going to be i mean it's going to be something like like the hype around this school is going to be something. if he keeps this up yeah <laughs> yeah all right uh, he's got three years left over under 0.5 heisman's uh, top five finishes by talia i'm going way over reactions right now Let's get wild. I'm, I, I, yeah, <laughs> this is a, this is a great <laughs> thing. I love this, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, under just for now, considering uh, we don't know what uh, college football is gonna look like in the future. We don't know how <laughs> the Big Ten is gonna shape up in the future. So just to be safe, I'll take the under in this one. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say. I mean, you know, we still got we still got some some heavy hitters across college football. I mean, if he keeps on playing the way he played today i mean he might be gone after after next year so you never you never know honestly you know what i'm gonna just say over just to be fun here why not imagine oh god imagine how fun that would be i'm just i'm just thinking about it right now i'm imagining a national championship listen start booking tickets to the rose bowl already for coach loxley uh jacob who else do you got as far as game balls 
Yeah, I'm gonna go back to Jake Funk because I don't want to. I don't yep, want to talk sure. about that. I don't want to talk about Dante Dimas yet because I know that's Daniel's guy. He was tweeting about how he's got NFL prospects uh, throughout the game last night. So I'll let Daniel talk about him. But just talking about Jake Funk, as I referenced earlier, just it was a phenomenal story. But also he was running hard. He was not only just finding open lanes, but when he was absorbing, when he would make contact with defenders, he was bouncing off of it, fighting for extra yards, and you could just tell how energized he was and how it energized the whole offense. And we talked about on the last episode of Varun just how Maryland needed to establish the run how important that is for a young quarterback to have that offensive balance to allow to keep defenses guessing and open up the play action passing game and that's exactly what it did for Maryland not only the play action passing game but the run pass option as well and I'm really intrigued to see how Jake Funk continues to have success because as the three of us talked about earlier with Penny Boone's struggles the one carry and the fumble last night I don't know how much of an impact he's going to have in the running game moving forward. So it seems like until maybe Teon Fleet Davis comes back, we still don't know when that's going to happen. Jake Funk is going to be the bell cow of this backfield. And if he can continue running like the way he did last night, he's going to have an excellent season this year. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, you go first, Daniel. I I was going to say on a side note, I'm just like really happy for him. Um, Just knowing, I mean, he's a, he's a 50 year senior now. Um, I think that means that he came in a year after, I'm trying to think, a year after me or so. I mean, we we kind of, you know, we we were at Maryland at the same time, and um, you know, he was always stuck. Um, he, he was always like a special teams guy, stuck low behind on the depth chart, um, behind a lot of really good running backs. Um, whether it was Ty Johnson or um, Lorenzo Harrison or Anthony McFarland or Javon Leak, and um, you know, I, I always remember him getting like garbage time minutes, but he would always produce and score and and we know he he had a great great high school career and you know I always kind of wondered like would he really be able to take on the lead back role and you know he's healthy right now and he's looking great so you know just personally like me watching him last night I'm like it's awesome to see that years after you know kind of kind of paying his dues and then recovering from two severe knee injuries you know he's proven that he can be like a legitimate college running back and be that bell car running back so that's really awesome to see exactly i mean he, he talked about it in the postgame press or he he got out and he instantly just called his parents because he was just so happy and he wanted to talk to them he's just one of those guys that you love to root for and you want to see succeed and it's really nice to see him i mean he he was incredible. I mean, every time he touched the ball on an outside zone, I mean, he had the red sea part and he was going down and he made guys miss too. He outran guys. He ran through guys. He was, he was everything you want in a modern running back. His okay. I I think one of you guys talked about it, but his pass protection was really good too. There was a couple of plays where play action fake. He comes over, there's a blitzer. Boom. He he's right there. And it's a stone wall and no one's getting passing, which is, which is huge for a young quarterback. And that was something they didn't have last week against Northwestern with a couple of guys coming free and you didn't see any of those issues today, which was really nice to see. All right, Daniel, we're all going to clear out now. Talk about Dante Dimas. That is my guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Dante Dimas. I believe, I believe he's a junior now, his third his third year, and I mean, he, he kind of had a breakout year last year with um with Jay Sean Jones being out with the ACL, and I mean, like I I said yesterday, he just he just looks. I mean, he looks like an NFL receiver first off. Like he he just just has that build, um, like the the physique is there. And it's just something, like I said, whenever I watch his game more and more, I just end up loving him more and more. Um, he's a really big receiver. Like he's over six feet, 200 pounds, but he still has the speed. And he has that, he has like that, that extra gear that, that you need to separate from, from defensive backs in the open field. 
Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm trying to see like research and see like what the kind of prospect bus has been about him. I don't think that th- there's too, there's too much right now just because of, you know, he's not in a, a pass. He, well, in prior years, he wasn't in a pass happy offense. Um, I think that as we've seen him, he's already off to a, a really strong start. Um, you know, I, I really wouldn't be surprised to see if he leaves after, um, after this season, but um, he's just a guy that I'm just really impressed with. Um, just to his his build, his speed. I think that as for most college receivers, the big thing is um, working on your route tree. Um, you know, making sure that you can work on that separation. But uh, you know, I I remember like I I always bring up this tweet like last year around this time when Maryland was like starting to struggle. I was like. Like Jay Sean and Dante are going to be serious next year. I mean, if they can get some consistent quarterback play, I mean, they're going to be a problem, and we're already starting to see that. Yeah, they're big dudes. They're a lot of athleticism. And then it's incredible. Brian Cobbs is a great third receiver. And then your fourth-star receiver – sorry, your fourth receiver is a five-star guy who was a top-20 recruit and getting compared to Stephon Diggs. This team is like, like you said, this team is loaded at the skill positions. Like we, me, me and Jacob talked about it. If the offensive line can continue to hold up like they had, this is a scary offense. This is a very talented offense. Listen, we got to have a serious conversation at some point if this keeps up about Northwestern uh, making the college football playoff. <laughs> I still don't know what happened there. We're going to have to find out about that. Uh, my next game ball is going to go to offensive coordinator Scott Montgomery. Uh, I think he called a perfect game. I don't think there was a single second where I felt like, he was taking a shot at the wrong moment. He knew exactly when to give uh, Talia the shots, when to give him the easy screen passes for completions, when to run the ball to the outside. He knew exactly how to attack this Minnesota defense. They did it with regularity. Daniel, uh, who else you got as game balls? Uh, I mean, John John Hoke, like, because after that Northwestern game, I was just, I was just kind of like, like, what, what's the deal with the, the conservative approach? And, um, you know, Lockley made some comments, I believe, during the, the game since sideline report that you know he was like I don't want to die a slow death um I, I understand that 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 secondary is fairly young too I mean you're starting a, a true freshman on one of the cornerback spots um so you know you don't want to kind of leave them um, isolated and give up any big plays but you know you can't just consistently let teams run the ball down your throat and do whatever they want so um like I said before earlier the uh the second half adjustments and just selling out to, to stop the run. Lockley said that Minnesota doesn't, uh, you know, they, they didn't hide what they wanted to do. So, I mean, props to the coaching staff for saying, okay, if this is what you're going to do, we're going to make sure that you can't do it. I was a little surprised that Minnesota didn't um, kind of turn on their passing game more and try to get Rashad Bateman uh, more involved in that game. But um, just the way that the coaching staff responded and, and made sure that, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to, when they say insanity is, you know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same results. I mean, props to them for switching up and, um, you know, making the stops when it was needed. Jacob, what do you think about John Hoke's approach? Yeah, echoing Daniel's sentiments, I thought the second half adjustments made by the defensive staff and defensive coordinator John Hoke were phenomenal. But the one guy that I want to focus on on the Maryland defense and give my game ball to is a guy we talked about earlier, Chance Campbell. He was a beast. He was all over the field, particularly in the second half. And I've said it all throughout the podcast. Chance Campbell is the unquestioned leader of this defense. And if he plays lights out, Maryland's defense is going to play not necessarily lights out, 
but definitely improved. I mean, he had 13 tackles last night. He had Maryland's first and only sack of the season in nearly eight quarters of football, which was a nice thing to see. He also had two and a half tackles for loss. And you could just see the energy that he plays with. After he sacked Tanner Morgan for the first sack of the season, he immediately jumped up with his fist pumped he was jumping up and down the whole defense gathered around him and he's been excellent throughout this year he had 15 tackles last week against Northwestern and I've been really impressed with him and the thing that impressed me most about him was we asked coach Loxley about him after the game and he wasn't really surprised about the way Chance is playing he said look Chance has played a lot of football he's a really good player and it's showing on the biggest stage because I know for me entering this year I was expecting maybe Ace Ely and Nick Cross to be the two biggest guys on this Maryland defense but through two weeks it's been unquestioned Chase Campbell the guy that's impressed me the most so far and I think if Maryland's defense wants to continue and have a strong performance this season he's going to be the biggest key for that yeah he was great uh, I'm going to give out one more game ball to uh, Petrino you make a 51 yard field goal as a college kicker it doesn't matter what else you do you automatically get a game ball and that that ended up being huge as you know the game went to overtime uh, do you guys have any other game balls before we move on to the next thing? I was just going to say one quick thing about Joseph Petrino that I found absolutely hysterical. So immediately after he drilled the kick, he sprinted. And I mean, absolutely sprinted to the sideline and started going berserk. And Barstool <laughs> Sports quote tweeted it and said, this Maryland kicker just celebrated like he won the Super Bowl after hitting a 51-yarder. And the Terps were talking about it after the game, just how excited and the amount of energy that there was on the sideline throughout that whole fourth quarter. And I thought that 51 yard kick just encapsulated that sequence completely. I mean, Petrino was going nuts. Jay Sean Jones mobbed him on the sideline, a bunch of the other offensive players mobbed him on the sideline. And I felt like that was a really big turning point in the fourth quarter for Maryland's comeback yesterday. My, I'm, you know what? I'm actually going to give one more game ball to coach Loxley. Whatever he said at halftime, it worked because the team came out and listen, they made the right adjustments on offense and defense but they just played with so much energy and so much fire. They came back from 17, which is kind of like, there's so much happened in this game that I kind of forget that they came back as well. They, they came back from 17 down against a team that was ranked in the top 25 at the beginning of the year. This is a very big win. Maybe we look back at the end of the year and we find out, oh, Minnesota was actually just really bad. But they've got serious talent with Ibrahim, Bateman, even Tanner Morgan's not bad. So this is... I don't think we should dismiss this win as like what happened against Syracuse or Howard last year. I think this is, I think this is a little bit more than that, partly just because of how good Talia looked. Um, just a I'm going to take Rune, about the uh, 17 point deficit that, that you just mentioned. Maryland athletics told us in the press box last night before that game, all time Maryland football teams were Owen 71 when they <laughs> entered the fourth quarter. No, it wasn't, it wasn't Maryland football teams. It was just all football teams across college football this season. Oh, no. That, so initially, what I tweeted that because the Maryland Athletics, that's what they told us, but it turned out to actually be a mistake. The stat was Oh, really? <laughs> so that was just all of Maryland football history. So in, in the program history, they were 0-71 when entering the fourth quarter, trailing by 17 points. So that was a really historic win for the program last night. Wow. Uh, and some other cool stats. We're, we're going to get to the bi- one big number. I've got, Listen, it's not one big number. We're going to go back to Talia. He's the first Maryland quarterback to do, get to 300 passing yards since Caleb Rowe in 2013 against Virginia. Thanks to Alexander Daisy for that uh, that uh, information. Another thing, he's a third Big Ten player over the past 20 years with 350 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns in a game. The only two others were Dwayne Haskins <laughs> and Zach Kustok. Kustok, I don't know. 
he played in 2001 versus Bowling Green. I'm not going to know who he is. But this this was a historic performance. I mean, this is something that, like, Justin Fields hasn't done this, you know? Not to say, you know, Talia is better than Justin Fields, but just to give an example of how ridiculous his performance was. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from this game, Jacob and Daniel? Yeah, my biggest takeaway was Talia's ability to create plays when it seems like there's nothing there. I mean, I, I I can't even count off the top of my head. It's got to be at least eight or nine times where he spun out of the pocket and created a play, whether it was just scrambling for four yards when he could have been sacked, firing a pass to a Rakeem Jarrett or one of his other receivers, and making a play when it seemed like nothing happened. If Talia can do that consistently, Maryland's going to be able to hang in the in these games against some Big Ten Blue Bloods. If they're able to score offensively, even if their defense gives up a lot of points, I mean, which is expected against some of the talented offenses they're going to face, if they're offensively, Offense can go toe to toe. I think that's a win because for me, the biggest thing that's going to define Maryland's this Maryland season this year, excuse me, as a success is development. If they can be confident in Talia moving forward and be confident in the offensive pieces that they have, because as both of you talked about earlier in the episode, next year's recruiting class is coming and it's heavy on the defense. So you're going to get a lot of that improvement next year. But if you have that offensive foundation set moving forward, that's a massive boost for Maryland. Yeah, the last part of Jacob of what Jacob said was really what I was going to focus on, just the overall competitiveness of the team. Um, you know, when the Big Ten decided to go to a conference-only schedule, you know, I, I remember writing one of the first things I wrote was, you know, this schedule, um, you know, this new schedule doesn't do Maryland any favors. And um, Loxley has said this is kind of, quote-unquote, year 0. 0.5. Um, this isn't the type of season that's going to be defined by a win-loss record is the type of season that's going to be, um, you know, looked at and judged by the development of some of these young players. Um, I don't expect Maryland to win all their game, to win all of its games. I don't expect Maryland to win half of its games. Um, no, I was thinking that if they could win three games and be more competitive against the Penn States, the Ohio States, the Michigans, I think that you could you could say that this season was a success or say we're going in the right direction. So um, the, resili the resiliency that they showed in not rolling over when they were down 17 and coming through in crucial moments was something that I was really impressed by. And I think that it was a really good sign. I know Waxley, it seems like he always has a short lease um, given his past at New Mexico and just Maryland's lack of success over the past few years. Um, but you know, it, you know, this is something that you're building from the ground up. You do have 50 plus new players in this program. So, um, we can see that week to week improvement that I think that's all that, you know, most people around this program want to see the week to week development. All right. We're going to get to, th this is the last question I'm going to ask before we ask Daniel, some non Maryland related questions. Does this, does this win in any way change? what you thought about this team or what you think this team could do this year. I think Jacob, me, I said four wins at the beginning of the year. You said three wins. Daniel, it looks like you also said three wins. Do you think this could change what you think about this team's outlook? Yeah, honestly, it's a little bit of both for me. I think it changed my outlook a little bit, but it also reaffirmed some things I, uh, I thought, That's I mean, I talked about before entering the season, just the sheer depth that Maryland had at the skill positions. And I mean, that was on full display last night. 
I mean, Maryland's receiving court, there were, there were six different guys that had at least three catches, including Jake Funk. Talia spread the wealth around, whether it was Jay Sean Jones, whether it was Rakeem Jarrett, whether it was Dante Demas, whether it was uh, Daryl Jones, excuse me, whether it was Brian Cox, everybody got theirs. And if Maryland's able to do that, it's going to be a real challenge for opposing defensive coordinators to game plan for them because Who's the one guy you try and stop? If you try and take away, let's say it's Jay Sean Jones or Dante Demas, you have Brian Cobbs and Rakeem Jarrett that can beat you. So I think Maryland, if anything, the biggest thing that they showed me last night was that their offensive weapons are no fluke. They could legitimately have, after Ohio State, maybe the best wide receiver core in the conference. I think they could certainly be in that conversation. And I think that I'm going to still stick to my initial prediction of three wins because it is a conference only schedule and Maryland still has to play Michigan, Ohio State and Penn State. And as both Varun and Daniel have talked about throughout this episode, there is a talent gap for Maryland. So competing against those teams is fine and it's important. And if you don't win, that's also fine because you have reinforcements coming in the future. So I think it's a little bit of both. I was really impressed with what I saw from Maryland last night, and it gave me some more confidence about them moving forward. But at the same time, I still have a little hesitation because of just how talented this Big Ten conference is. Yeah, I agree. It was more of a um, you know reaffirmation of what I thought um, this team's potential was. Um, uh, next six or so games of the season may prove otherwise, but I just – I just, I just had a, I have, and I had a hard time believing that Northwestern was 40 points better than, uh, than Maryland on a, on a given Saturday, Friday night, whatever. Um, and I may be proven wrong, you know, and if so, I'll say I'm wrong, but, um, you know, I keep on saying, and we've all said the skill positions were never an issue. It's just a matter of getting a quarterback, um, in the lineup who can give you consistent play. Um, you know, we, you know, we've all said we expect kind of a middle ground. We don't expect um, the five touchdowns every single uh, every single week. But if you can give us cons- consistent quarterback play, I mean, that, that that's all. That's that's. I think that's all anybody around the Maryland program has been has been has been searching for. Um, the defense, you know, we've seen a a, a real uptick uptick and a real improvement from the offensive side, but the defensive side it just seems like. Um, a lot of the issues from last year through two games, it's still there. I've been uh, kind of really disappointed in the in the secondary play, especially from the safeties. Um, a lot of the the missed tackles and the bad angles um, on playing the ball. Um, but these guys are young. Um, you know, Nick Cross and Jordan Mosley seems like those are the stars right now. I, I personally haven't seen too much of Antoine Richardson. I thought that he might be more of a more of an impact player, but I know he's coming. He's coming back from a, he's still returning from an injury. Um, but you know, there's there's room for there's room for growth. There's a lot of room for improvement, and we keep on saying, you know, as long as Maryland shows that every week, I mean, there's uh there's no issue with that, and um, that would definitely give a lot of people um room to be uh to be optimistic. Yeah, the biggest thing coming into the season for me was you have to identify who the quarterback is. You can't go. The ideal situation was you only had to play one quarterback this year, and it looks like even more than the stats for Talia, what really made me confident about what he is, is what he showed he can do. I mean, the traits, the pure traits that he has, the speed, the like the toughness, and then just throwing. He had some really, like, he, he threw some dimes, man. Especially on that last drive, I think, the I think he threw it to Cobbs the seam route over the middle. I mean that's a perfect ball. I mean you can't throw that. That was, that, honestly the, that was probably the best 
throw he made in the yep. game. I think it got a little overshadowed because the game because that drive didn't end in points and it went to overtime. But that was an incredible pass. Yeah, I mean, he put that perfectly only where Brian could go get it. And then some of the plays he made rolling out to the left and the right. Obviously, the long touchdown runs are going to get played again. But I think of like some of the the throws he made to Jake Funk, to Raheem Jarrett. I mean, it's really hard when you're rolling out to the left as a right-handed quarterback to make an accurate throw. But he did it again and again with regularity. He's a sophomore, right? So at the very least, you have one more year of him. You might have two, depending on how much he likes this program. So if he's the guy and he continues to solidify the fact that he's the guy, that's all you need from this team for this year. And they can win three games. They can win seven games. They can win two games. It doesn't matter if he shows that this offense is going to be really good with the recruits they have coming in. You show that there's a foundation building for the future. And that's the most important thing for this Maryland team. Uh, do you guys have quick, any- yeah. I was going to say an underrated aspect that I don't think anybody has mentioned is um, seeing the success that, Talia could have uh, the rest of this season. I think that that could do wonders in the recruiting in the recruiting aspect. For sure. um, we all know. I mean, irregardless, Loxley is a is a great recruiter, especially in the DMV. But um, Maryland has struggled to consistently um, churn out top quarterback prospects. We saw Caleb Williams. Um, he had Maryland in his top his short list of teams, but he ultimately picked. Uh, Oklahoma Um, you know this could potentially I mean I'm just I I don't I'm not on the recruiting landscape I don't follow that as deeply as other guys but seeing the success that Talia has that could potentially you know kind of turn some eyes and in the same manner that Maryland has consistently brought in um, really productive wide receivers I mean that could potentially be something where we see more quarterbacks say hey I can have success at Maryland especially local guys and decide to ultimately stay home and go to College Park. Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal point that Daniel makes just we've talked about throughout this episode how how quarterback is the most important position not only in professional sports but also in college football and just the one word that comes to my mind is stability. When is the last time that Maryland had stability at the quarterback position? I mean, the one stat that encapsulates that is, as Arun said earlier, that was the first 300-yard passing game for a Maryland quarterback in seven years. That stat is absolutely mind-boggling. And just the not only the current ramifications that that's going to have for this Maryland team positively, but also, as Daniel referenced, long-term, just enticing a lot of those skill players who Maryland has had success bringing in. Just imagine if they could get another five-star guy like a Rakeem Jarrett and either next year or the year after and continue building on this offensive foundation because even if your defense is subpar, if your offense can score a ton of points, that certainly takes a lot of pressure off the defense. So that's definitely going to be something to watch moving forward. And I'm really intrigued to see how Talia's long-term development continues this season. And if we not only continue to see his evolution as a passer, but both as a runner as well. There's a lot of excitement around College Park surrounding this Terps team, rightfully so. There's a lot of hope for the future. Jacob and I are going to come back talking about the Terps in just a second. We're going to go over our over-unders and predictions for the last game. But before that, we're going to get Daniel out of here because he's got to go do important things. Before that, we're going to do some something new. When we bring on a guest from now on, uh, when it's a UMD-centric guest, we're going to ask him three questions that are just about anything but Maryland. So my first question for Daniel, who's the funniest guy on the Ravens? Funniest guy on the Ravens. Oh man, I'm trying to think. I have a guess for this one, just just from perception. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take a guess. 
characters on the team. <laughs> I, I I have two I have two guesses because I I'm not sure if you remember, but last year at the one of the Maryland basketball media availabilities, I actually asked you about this. So you told me one of the guys that was really underrated and who was actually very funny is Matthew Judon. But my guess, <laughs> my guess for a player just based on his character and the way he acts is Marcus Peters. Oh, that's good. Yeah, 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 you're right. I was gonna say Matt Judon. You know, before uh, COVID and we were able to. Uh, frequently be in the locker room. He was a guy that always cracked me up, um, having side conversations with him and stuff like that. Uh, I think Marcus Peters is a guy who's like unintentionally funny. He's just like the way he is, and it just just comes off like that. Uh, Brandon Williams, the defensive tackle. He, he's a he's a funny guy as well. I'm trying to think. Mark Ingram. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's just a character. He's yeah, he's definitely a, he's definitely a funny guy as well. I'm trying to think. Cause it's different because you know you're on Zoom calls all the time, so you don't you don't see these guys much. Justin that's Tucker, right, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a character as well. Uh, but yeah, that's that's definitely a fun team. You know, they have, they have a lot of young guys and a lot of funny guys, so it's always funny kind of seeing them on uh, on Twitter. I know Deshaun Elliott he cracks me up a lot of times. But so yeah, they got some funny guys on that team for sure. All right. Um, in your Twitter bio, it says music maker. I went to your website, checked out a couple of songs. So you're a producer and a rapper, or just a producer? uh both really you know okay. i've been yeah i mean I, I was i was rapping when started rapping when i was in like high school and then in college i was like really like making really making songs and then uh like when i was a sophomore i started making beats i, I really produced most of the time just because i want to have i really don't have the time to record and all that stuff but yeah yeah just whenever i'm not like working which is most of the time you know i take some time i'm always listening to music always got my headphones in so i love making music and stuff like that all right. So my question is, as a producer, if you had to compare yourself, if you had to say like your music style is most similar to one other producer, who would it be like one famous producer? And then if you could get any rapper on one of your songs, which one based on like how they match your beats, who would you pick? That's a good question. Um, this is interesting. Like even when I was like starting to make music and whatnot, people said uh, a lot of my a lot of my music remind, remind them of J. Cole just because I use a lot of samples. I love I love sampling like like old like 80s, 70s, 60s, even current stuff and give put my own twist on it. Um, and it's it's funny because like I'm a J Cole fan, but I, I'm not like a J Cole stan. Like there's a lot of rappers I like, yeah. like, <laughs> like more than him. But um, but like but people don't know that J Cole produces like a ton of his music. I think he's produced like 90% of his discography. And um, you know, it's funny like whenever I end up making something, a lot of times I, I end up kind of like listening to his music. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like something I would want to make. So yeah, definitely. Uh, I probably probably see J Cole for production side. The who, what rapper would I like to be to be on one of my tracks? That's a great question. Um, ah man, there's just so many great rappers out right now that I love listening to. I was probably kind say, of Joey. Yeah, I was gonna say like Joey was Joey's like one of like my favorite, like honestly one of my influences. Like when I was first writing rhymes in high school, like. I was like imitating Joey with like his his style and um you know his his wordplay and his uh you know his, his metaphors and stuff like that. So that'd be awesome. You know, like I came up on like listening to like Nas and Jay Z and like kind of like the boom bap tribe called Quest mm-hmm. and like kind of like those boom bap type ninety style. And even even today, like I still make stuff like that. So it, it'd be dope to make a track like that and get Joey on it. All right, and then I got I got two quick questions for you. First, yeah. this is a, this is a little bit of a Maryland centered question, but when you come <laughs> back, when you come back to College Park, what is your go to eating spot in College Park? What is your favorite place to get food? Oh yeah, I got to know this when I got on campus. So, I think 
because I used to, I didn't eat out like terribly, but I'd always like get something delivered because I hated cooking when I was, <laughs> when I was living. I, I feel that. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Um, why am I blanking on it? Well, every once in a while, insomnia cookies, you can't go wrong with that, like late night insomnia cookies. Um, you're going to have to fill me in because for some reason I'm blanking. It's the pizza place right across from campus that everybody goes to. Um, Blaze? Blaze, yeah. I always went to Blaze. Uh, I had DP dough like twice and it was like really good, but I never went back to it. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I ordered like a crazy and a really unhealthy amount of Domino's when I was living on campus. I mean, when I was living off campus the last few years. I'm trying to think. Those are probably the top places. Yeah. And then What's my- the campus all food like? Is it good? Um, it's very hit or miss. You're going to, the first, uh, the first two or three weeks, you're going to go to the dining hall and you're going to say, wow, this place is fantastic. (laughs) And then then after about two, three weeks, you're going to be like, "Eh, I'm getting tired of this. I want something else. So it's it's definitely been revamped over the years. Like I remember when I was a freshman, uh, like fall 2015, um, you know, that's when like 251 was like a real staple, like, like it was like a special thing. Like you had like your 251 points and uh, they had like the late night wings and whatnot. So I, I lived in, uh, I lived in Alec here right across from the North Campus Diner. So it'd be like 1150 and we'd run. I lived Same on like here. 7th. I lived on the 6th floor and we'd, 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 we'd run, we'd run, take that uh, elevator down real quick, go out, get the, get a soda, get some uh, wings and fries and then run back up to the room. So they changed it up a lot. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, it was definitely hit or miss my sophomore year when I, when I was living on South Campus and I started eating there too. That's so funny. I also lived in uh, Ellicott sixth floor my freshman year as well. But my other, my other question is obviously as Varun talked about at the beginning of the episode, Daniel covers the Ravens for the Baltimore Sun and they have a big matchup tomorrow against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So while we're on here before the game starts, I want to get your prediction for tomorrow's matchup. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this game. And I was kind of, I was kind of going back and forth because I think definitely um, aside from the Chiefs is going to be the, the Ravens biggest test of the year um i'm actually going with the ravens um i mean i don't think i've picked uh against the ravens like more than four times since i've been on the beat last year and the ravens are rarely ever lose on Lamar jackson but just coming off the bye um i think that's got that's going to help a lot it's given an extra extra week to get healthy prepare for the team um you might see some new wrinkles on offense i think uh unique ngakwe is going to be really big um in this game, especially against a team like the Steelers who get the ball out um, so quickly. And, um, you know, I just I just have a hard time believing that the Steelers are going to be able to make those big plays consistently to beat the Ravens. I think that um, one of the big things is you have to stop the run and let, limit Lamar Jackson on defense. And then you have to make big plays consistently against that Ravens secondary. And they have a really good cornerback duo. And they have some strong uh, safeties. I think that the Ravens are going to win 23 to 20, maybe a late defense stop or a Justin Tucker field goal. All right. Uh, I think that's all we've got for you. Do you want to plug all your social media and where people can find your work? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. First off, obviously, uh, BaltimoreSun.com, uh, Baltimore Sun, where you can read me. And we have a whole bunch of great writers, um, not only in sports, but everywhere. And then on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Daniel Oyafusi, first and last name. Last name is O-Y-E-F-U-S-I. All right. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on. Jacob and I will be right back after some quick music uh, to recap our predictions and over-unders. Thank you so much, Daniel.
always, thank you so much for Daniel coming on. Listen, like uh, we were just talking about this. That was one of the best like sporting events. I've like best football games I've ever watched. It was like you were talking about what's the, what's your, what's your uh, top football game you've ever watched? So for me as a Giants fan, I've had to suffer a lot of heartbreak, unfortunately. <laughs> so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to college football. But in terms of Maryland football that I've watched in my four years here, this game's got to rank as number one. Just not only just getting able to being able to watch it in person in the press box, but just the that game had literally every emotion possible. You had you had the highs of the beginning of the game going up 21-7, the lows of getting up 31 on extra points, then the high of tying the game again, and then and then the high of winning on a on a missed extra point. I mean, it was just it was just a phenomenal game on so many fronts. Both teams competed really hard, but that's definitely the best game I've ever watched in Mar- at Maryland. The only other game that rivals it and comes close was a 52-51 double overtime loss to Ohio State two years ago, my sophomore year but it was just a phenomenal football game and i i really hope that we get a lot more of those the rest of the season yeah like it was funny because yesterday was the one year anniversary of the nationals winning the world series so like i'm watching during overtime and like you know every time it's a commercial break i'll like check twitter and people would be like posting like the anniversary clips right and i'm like oh my god would you look at that it's it's the anniversary so it was it was just it's an incredible game um man was there anything i mean like, I, I, thank you again. Thank you so much, Daniel. I don't think we missed anything that I wanted to talk about. I mean, we hit everything there, right? Yeah, that was a that was a terrific episode. Daniel, as we both know, is a great guy. He graduated from Maryland a couple of years ago, does terrific work for the Baltimore Sun. So we both really appreciate him coming on. And it was definitely a really fun conversation. I'm currently pulling up our preview to find out what we predicted for the over-unders. We both got our game predictions wrong again. I think I said 42-21 and you said like 42-24. I, I, I will take some solace on the fact I said Minnesota 34-24, so I was right that ah, Maryland would cover. So I'll, I'll, I'll take a little bit of solace in that. I didn't get the score right, but I did predict that Maryland would cover. All right, that's fair. All right, let's pull up. You know what? I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna take. A, like, I'm just gonna take a victory lap on the fact that one of my, I talked about the special teams before the game because. Uh, Megan Ryan, who write, who wrote for the Minnesota Star Tribune and writes for the Minnesota Star Tribune, came on the podcast. She told me that everyone was unavailable to play, and it came out and ended up mattering. So thank God for that. Let's go to our game, our uh, over unders. Talia touchdowns one point five. I hit the under. You hit the under. Both of us were incorrect. Maryland combined rushing yards one hundred twenty point five. They definitely hit over that. You said over. I said under. So you're up one zero. UMD team sacks. I said over. You said under. They ended up with one. So you're up two zero now. Man, I, I will say over. though, I did say that if Maryland wanted to win, that number needed to hit over, and they still found a way to win <laughs> with it hitting under. So kudos to Maryland. The, Very the one, the one they ended up getting was like. <laughs> huge in term, I think it was Chance Campbell just like coming in on blitz. I was I was big, so they they made they make their sacks count. Uh, Rashad Bateman receiving yards seventy point five. You said under, I said over. I don't think he hit the over actually. No, he check. had sixty. He had sixty two yards. Sixty two. Oh man. Right, and then Muhammad Ibrahim rushing yards. I hit over. You hit over as well. So both of us got that there. So you're up 2-0. Uh, Mike Loxley, exasperated looks on the sideline. I counted two. I got one early in the game after, 
I think, I think after, no, it was, so there was one early in the game after the interception. And then there was another one after the crackback block penalty on Jayshon where he just kind of, he was lecturing Jayshon right before he called a timeout. So those are my two. So I hit the under, I hit the over, you hit the under. So you went to get, God damn, man, you, you killed me on the over-unders this week. Yeah, I uh, I just was trying to be contrarian with that one. I I didn't honestly think it would happen, but uh, you were you were nice enough to update me throughout the game on the progression of that, as I couldn't see the uh, <laughs> exasperated looks from the press box. But yeah, nice to uh, get a lot of those over unders right. Hopefully, I'll continue this uh, momentum into next week and maybe actually get a little closer on the score prediction, since both you and I have struggled to be really close there <laughs> in the first two weeks. <laughs> the first game we thought it would be close, and they ended up getting crunched. The second game. We thought it would, they were going to get crunched, and they ended up winning. What what a game. Um, anything else you want to slide? Any last words on this game? No, I, th- I think we've covered everything. I mean, this was a phenomenal game to watch. It was a phenomenal game to cover. Just a massive win for Maryland, a historic win for Maryland, as we highlighted. And the next two weeks is their toughest stretch of the season. They got Ohio, Penn State and Ohio State back-to-back. We're, we're really going to find out who this Maryland team is in the next two weeks, whether yesterday's performance was a fluke or whether they're going to be able to compete, compete Excuse me, against two of the top teams in the Big Ten. We're going to be covering all of that here on the Hale Maryland Podcast. As always, please Rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast anywhere you listen. SoundCloud, Apple Music, Spotify, whatever. If you leave a five-star review or promote the podcast on Twitter and add in a question you have, we will read the review on air. So please do that, and we will shout you out and answer any questions you have. Once again, thank you so much, everyone. We'll be back sometime this week to preview uh, next week's game against Penn State, which, listen, depending on how Penn State does tonight, That could be a much bigger game than we thought. So uh, thank you, everyone. Until then, this is the Hale Maryland Podcast.